White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. And it's pretty deep out and left, and this ball is gone. How about that? How about that timing? <laughs> this presentation of the ESPN 1000 Chicago White Sox Network is brought to you by Wintrust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight, live from Guaranteed Rate Field. It's the White Sox and Yankees this evening. Game two of three of a three-game series. And unless you've been in a cave the last three days, you realize that the White Sox won a game against the Yankees to start this series in Dyersville, Iowa. They beat the Yanks. By one, a walk-off homer from Tim Anderson into the corn in right field at the Field of Dreams game, the inaugural Field of Dreams game. White Sox won the game. It was a whole bunch of drama, a whole bunch of fun. 68-48 and are the White Sox now this season. And the Yankees pull into town, or at least back into Chicago, 63-52 and on the year. Lots to do on the show this afternoon, not the least of which is set you up for the ball game tonight, game two of three between the White Sox and Yankees. But we got to do a lot of talking about what we just saw on Thursday night. What we saw, and maybe more importantly, what we heard on Thursday night from Len Casper and Darren Jackson. Joining us on the show will be Len Casper in just a couple of moments. He's down on the field gathering his pregame necessities for the broadcast tonight. But, you know, I, I, I look back to Thursday night's game, and I, I did my best, you know, having the, the job that, that I do, you know, doing pre and post and, you know, checking in and, and being a part of the Len and DJ broadcast when I, when I can, uh, I did the best I could to keep the national broadcast on and, of course, Len and DJ as well, because I thought that the game itself, you know, regardless of what the outcome ended up being and or, or the drama or heroics or, you know, whatever happened within the baseball game, I thought the sights and sounds and, and just kind of overall feel would be important to remember in this 2021 White Sox season, really in this 2021 Major League Baseball season. And I think I was right about that. I think we were all right about that. And what I mean is this was Thursday night's game between the White Sox and Yankees, the most watched regular season baseball game since 2005. There were 5.9 million viewers. And if checking into the postgame show here on the network was any indication, we had more listeners than we've had, maybe for any other regular season broadcast in the last little bit. And that is awesome. I, I know how much the movie means to some baseball fans. I know how much this particular White Sox team, given its aspirations and winning record, means to White Sox fans. And I, I think there was a, you know, a special one-off quality to, to Thursday night's game. And, and it won't be a one-off. It sounds like Major League Baseball is going to do a, a yearly version of this, or if not, you know, the very same thing. Uh, in, in the coming years with different teams and different matchups and you know different connections to baseball's past. I, I think that'll all be there. Whether Kevin Costner is going to take 45 minutes to walk in from the corn and then on to home uh, or onto the pitching mound and then announce and make a nice speech like he did, I don't know. It'd kind of be fun to watch. But I want to know how you felt about this game. I, I want to know how you took it in. I heard from, and, and I loved so much, 
talking to every one of the post-game callers that we had that night. We had Eric Ostrowski was our producer that night. He's producing White Sox Weekly today as well. I, I think he'd tell you, the phones were off the hook. Each time we put the phone down, each time we said thanks for calling and then went on to our next, uh, you know, on our next post-game caller, we had somebody else hopping on to take part in the show. It was awesome. It was absolutely fantastic, and so much of it was it about, so much of it was about the great finish that Tim Anderson gave the game. So much of it was about the drama and the announcement that the White Sox made on television. On the, you know, it wasn't an island game, but it really kind of felt like this one-off performance, like a, like a big NFL game or something like that. You know, like the like the Monday Night broadcast. It was this was something different in a whole lot of ways. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to talk Sox, this is your time to do it. And I, I specifically want to hear from you. Um, I want to know how you took in Thursday night's game and whether you hope that there will be more of the same from Major League Baseball. I, I think the uniqueness of it helped underline the importance. But I also think that one particular White Sox player, Tim Anderson, had a chance to yell loudly on a national stage in a way that he should have had an opportunity to do beforehand, has had an opportunity to beforehand, and, and maybe hasn't gotten the, shall we say, support from Major League Baseball as an entity. And now I think that is undeniable, right? I mean, you have T.A., who in the past has been... You know, the guy that got his team fired up, a leader in the clubhouse, a guy that has been forefront in so many different charitable efforts here on the south side with, with local kids and programs. And now you have him performing against the biggest, baddest, most historic team in baseball, the New York Yankees, and lighting up a walk-off win and providing this season, this regular season, with maybe the most, I don't know, dramatic finish that it's going to have, that it could possibly have? I thought it was pretty wild. No doubt about it. I thought it was absolutely wild. And I thought it was cool that for a team who's in first place, the White Sox, by more games than any other team in baseball is in first place. It's an 11-game lead on Cleveland right now, 12 on Detroit, who are on the way. The next biggest lead in baseball, division-wise, of the Milwaukee Brewers, up 7.5 on the Cincinnati Reds. The White Sox are frontrunners in a way that no one else in baseball is. And I think when you have your, you know, your unofficial team captain, or maybe one of them, you know, Jose Abreu being the other one, of course, who himself made history at the Field of Dreams game, you know, this, this was, it shook a little different. It spoke a little louder, I, I think. I think, too, when, when we look back at the game and, and kind of think about the spectacle that it was and the records that it set and the place that it had in, in regular season lore, what we're going to think about are, you know, it, it's the first game in Iowa. I, I'm sure that everyone, every White Sox fan, I was surprised myself as I was scrolling through my own, you know, social media accounts, you know, whether I was checking people's live stories or just kind of checking in with people's posts, I was really surprised with just how many people I knew that were at the game. 
Len and DJ were there, of course, but you know, I wasn't checking DJ's social or anything like that. But there were other people that I knew that were there that had gotten themselves tickets. And it was wild to think about with, with just you know, fewer than 8,000 fans in attendance. It was a sellout, just, just under 8,000. Small ballpark, obviously. But so many White Sox fans got out there. And you know, I, I, took, I mentioned Costner a little while ago, but when he took to the field and, and stepped on the mound and announced you know, the game here between the first-place Chicago White Sox, the cheer there was just about as loud as, as anything all the way up to Jose Abreu hitting a two-out, nobody on home run in the first, giving the White Sox the first lead and hitting the first home run, the first Major League home run in the state of Iowa. You know, so all of those firsts were amazing to watch, but this one maybe hit me more than anything. And I, I don't know if you're, you know, a fan of the movie Field of Dreams, and if you're not, that's okay. I think you still appreciated Thursday night's game for what it was, or at least that's what it seems like given the, the viewership and the listenerships that we've kind of logged and talked about here. Now, I don't know if you've read the book. I don't even know if White Sox fans, I know some are, but I, I don't know that every White Sox fan and I think this would be the same for every fan base across baseball. I don't know how much fandoms are really in tune with the 1919 versions of their teams. But for the White Sox, obviously, 1919 was a historic year. Um, it was an infamous year. That's the Black Sox scandal, and what it's named now. And I would probably come up with a better moniker for that, for that team than that. But, you know, it's the team that um, was, to a man acquitted of, of trying to throw the 1919 World Series. Certainly there's more records than just the court records, and you know, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the commissioner at the time, ended up banning, and you know, that's eight men out, ended up banning, banning eight men from baseball, eight White Sox players from the game, Shoeless Joe Jackson being one of them. Well, one of the stats that I thought was absolutely incredible after Thursday night's game was that Tim Anderson hit the 15th walk-off for the White Sox against the Yankees in team history. The very first walk-off hit by the White Sox against the Yankees in team history was Shoeless Joe Jackson. I mean, <laughs> that kind of stuff is wild. That kind of stuff is where, where baseball, at least to my mind, outplays every other major sport. The fact that you can go as deep and as, as locked into history as, as you possibly can, as all the way back to 1919, connecting Tim Anderson with Shoeless Joe Jackson, not with a number of players or a number of teams or different connections or, or any of that stuff, just with the mere fact that these two are the guys that at the first and last walk-offs against the New York Yankees for the White Sox, absolutely 100% remarkable. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. Going to get more into this ball club. Some of the news and notes around it. Adam Engel, Larry Garcia, Andrew Vaughn. Uh, we'll give you the lineup for the White Sox against the Yankees tonight. We'll talk to Len Casper, who called the game in Dyersville, Iowa, in just a bit as well. Stepping up to the break. But before we do that, just a reminder, White Sox fans, and uh, you're going to want to keep a hold of this. You can join us Tuesday, August 17th for 90s night. It's presented by Cordeck. The Chicago White Sox host the Oakland A's at 710. Cordeck is your next day service metal deck supply company. To purchase tickets to the game, visit whitesox.com slash promos. Follow us on Twitter at ESPN1000. 
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox and Yankees coming up this evening here at Guaranteed Rate Field. We were just talking about the, uh, you know, the spectacle that we had at Dyersville, Iowa, just on Thursday night. Huge walk-off win for the White Sox against the Yankees. Tim Anderson with a home run, the two-run shot to right field. It was an absolutely wild night, a really fun night. Uh, if you were at the game or, or watched it or took it in, we'd love to talk with you uh, and, and figure out exactly where your experience was at and how your experience went. I, I think there was so much to the night. I think there was so much spectacle and so much drama that the – I mean, it was almost like, you know, we, we started the evening and there was the pregame ceremonies and, you know, I, I was doing the pregame show here on the network and, and trying to – you know, really connect the movie and, and baseball nostalgia and the 1919 White Sox and all that kind of stuff. And, and we got done with all of it. And the game started. And part of me thought, and I, I, hope, you don't, I hope you don't get mad at me for it, but a part of me thought, boy, I hope this lives up to all of it. I, this is, I, I hope this lives up to all of the hype. And it did. It, couldn't, it could not have gone better. It could not have been a better finish. Uh, it could not have been a better ball game. And obviously for the White Sox to have won it the way they did uh, was absolutely fantastic. We got out to the phone lines. 312-332-3776 is the phone number. And uh, joining us now on White Sox Weekly, uh, favorite of the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network, it's uh, George, the M&M guy. What's up, George? Hey, Connor. How are you? Uh, hanging in. It was an amazing experience. Uh, I've done a lot of things, World Series and Super Bowls. And this was the greatest. I'm echoing for some reason. No, it's it's it. You're echoing because of the uh, it's it's the it's the voice in the field telling us all that if if you build it, George, he will come. That's what it is. <laughs> I love it. It was truly amazing, and I hope that the White Sox fight for it. And it's it should be their game. Yeah, I wonder, George. Appreciate the phone call, man. I. I wonder if baseball would make it an every year White Sox situation. I would imagine that logistically they're going to want to spread it around to more teams. Um, and I, I would imagine from an eyeballs standpoint, they'd want to spread it around to more teams as well. But there's no denying that, you know, for, for a whole host of reasons, Major League Baseball made the right choice in creating or, or in, a, in, in making sure that the White Sox were part of of the inaugural game, right? I mean, if and again, I'm, I'm referencing a book that maybe not everybody has read and a movie that maybe maybe not everybody has seen. But if if you've seen Field of Dreams, you know that the uh, the 1919 scandal-ridden White Sox are you know with Shoeless Joe Jackson and Eddie Seacott and you know the, the names go on and on. Favorite like that. The, these are the guys that were you know banished by baseball, the eight men out, as it were, and and the the kind of touchstone of that book, the thing that. You know, Ray Kinsella, the, the main character, was kind of missing. So to have the White Sox out there and doing it is great. I, I think there's a way, though, to make, you know, even though we're talking about a fictional book and a fictional story and a movie that's based on a fictional book of things that didn't happen but based on real people that did, it's this crazy different, you know, so many different levels of connection between the real and the nostalgic, the real and then the, the narrative. But for baseball to be able to put out the product that they did and connect through you know, kind of this old um, history-laden kind of pastime, the, the modern era, 
the modern player and the modern way to play this game. I mean, think about that, too. There were, you know, in 1919, nobody was really slugging home runs. A whole lot of different reasons for that. But nobody was really hitting a lot of home runs. And here it is. You've got eight home runs in the ballgame. You've got three in, in just the final inning. Two of them put the Yankees back ahead, a two-run shot and another two-run shot, and then another two-run shot in the bottom of the ninth by Tim Anderson to win the thing. I mean, you just you really had modern baseball on display in a way that, um, you know, kind of fit this old-timey, uh, almost ancient-looking but still modern ballpark. I thought it was really cool the way the broadcast went around um, some of the movie set, some of the history of the game, and, and some of the modern connections at the same time. Uh, I, I don't know if everybody caught it, but there was a, a drone shot. And I, and I guess, you know, Fox had 25 drones or something like that on site to just kind of be a part of the broadcast. Um, but at one point, they flew a drone from the ballpark, you know, where the, where the game is actually being played, up and over the cornfield, the corn maze that Liam Hendricks uh, and Craig Kimbrell apparently got lost in at one point, over that field across the actual Field of Dreams field, the one where the, uh, the White Sox ace pro- program actually played the day before, through the upper window of the house, the movie set house, down the steps, and then back out the front door, all in one remote-controlled drone shot. It was insane. I mean, it was well and truly insane. So to see that kind of you know, production brought into the whole broadcast was really kind of something special. Um, I also think that with the way we had, with the way we had kind of these two competing baseball teams, you had this extra step up of, I don't want to say meaningfulness necessarily, but definitely like nobody had to, whether it was, whether it was Buck or whether it was the Yankees radio broadcast or our own broadcast, nobody had to spend time filling anything other than what an awesome baseball game this was. Uh, One of the guys responsible for making that baseball game come to you, specifically here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network, is Len Casper. Len joins us now. He's here in the booth hanging out with us. Hey, Connor. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Oh, man. It's still kind of coming down from the emotional high. It it was... It was indescribably great, and I know our job on radio is to describe things, but it it was one of those you had to be there to, to really get the full experience, and I hope they do it again. I would be of the mind to do it in other places that have never seen Major League Baseball. There are a lot of states in the Union that don't have Major League teams. If you build it, they will come. Works. The Field of Dreams game works in other sites. Uh, but I, I trust Major League Baseball will get it right. Maybe play another one in Dyersville and then branch out from there. But as you know, sequels are tough. They are. They are. It's, I, I think it's part of the reason. Although I have heard that Field of Dreams did have a sequel at some point, kind of like roughly sketched out. I don't know if it plays, but I'd be interested to see what it looked like. Still, the matchup between these two, you know, the White Sox and the Yankees, it, it left no room for disappointment. You know, regardless of the pomp and the circumstance in the show, the baseball itself was, was right there for everybody to watch. I thought what uh, I was just down on the field chatting with a couple people, and I said, <laughs> one of the things that, that stood out to me is you have this amazing event, you have this great scenery, everybody was into the moment. And all of a sudden, Lance Lynn is dropping four-letter words on the umpire. And you're like, oh, this is a real major league game. And that's what kind of made it 
awesome as well is that there was something riding on the line, and I don't know how big a game it was in the standings for the Sox because they have an 11-game lead. That was a pretty big game for the New York Yankees. They're probably not in the uh, AL East race, but they're very much in the wild card race. And that's the kind of loss after coming back in the ninth that maybe in September they look back and say, we should have hung on and won that game. You know, something we were talking about earlier on in the show was the idea of Tim Anderson hitting that home run on a national stage. Tim is one of the bright young stars of baseball. He's kind of the, the lead of, you know, change the game. You know, the kids can play, all the kind of stuff that the baseball's been focusing on. Do you think that there's value, like intrinsic value to baseball fans in seeing him on a stage like that do what he did? Absolutely. I, I think Eloy with the big home run, uh, Tim Anderson with the game ender. I thought he played a really good defensive game, even though I know he had one, one bad throw. But um, that game was must-watch, must-see television, not only in Chicago and New York, but around the, around the country. And I mentioned this during the game. There were a lot of White Sox and Yankees fans among the 8,000, but we saw jerseys of almost every major league team. There were baseball fans there who had no rooting interest. And I think the, the fact that it was such a great game and there were so many big performances, uh, I think their Q rating, whatever you want to call it, has just gone up immeasurably. I would imagine Tim has added a few thousand Twitter followers as a result of that big home run. And the best part was it was a no doubter right off the bat. Everybody in the stadium, everybody watching on TV, everybody in the radio booth knew that the game was over. What I liked a lot about the way the broadcast was presented and, you know, just doing the job, I I tried to consume as much of every broadcast as I could, uh, the television broadcast specifically, because that's what's going to bring so many, you know, hopefully to baseball. Uh, But what I like so much about it is that you didn't, you didn't have to be a fan of the movie or the book necessarily. They did a great job, it seemed, you know, from the end user standpoint, of making the story itself about the game and its history as much as the connection to this fictional piece of, of narrative. I think had a fan never watched the movie, read the book, or, or knew nothing about any of it, it still would have been a worthwhile experience. And I would imagine that type of person in the last day has watched the movie as a result. Uh, I happened to rewatch it Wednesday night, so it was very fresh in my, in my mind uh, what had happened in the movie, and I thought the event matched the vibe of the film almost to a T. Um, but you're right. I don't think it was necessarily so that you had to be a big fan of the film or the story or any of that stuff in order to really appreciate just how cool that event was. The other thing is we pulled away... Um, I haven't spent a lot of time in Iowa, but people who are from there know when you're driving through the cornfields, there are no streetlights, nothing. It is pitch black. And we got two, three, four miles away from the site, and you could still see the faint lights. It was like the only thing within miles and miles and miles and miles that was, was operating. Everything else around it was asleep around 11.30 that night, and I thought that was really cool. How did you and DJ kind of view or, or talk about, if at all, your responsibility to the story around the game as the game got going, like during the broadcast itself? We didn't talk too much about it off the air. As I said, I watched the movie. I, I relayed the story of Moonlight Graham a little bit, talked about some of the characters in the film. Uh, we had some drops from the movie, some some you know great quotes uh, coming out of breaks, but... 
I was also cognizant that we're calling a baseball game, and I just wanted to make sure we described what we were looking at and what we were seeing as well as possible. Uh, also understanding that a lot of people probably were watching the game and listening to it as well. And I just thought it was a great baseball game. So try not to overthink it yeah. and uh, try not to pack too much into it. From the baseball side of things, you know, Liam Hendricks gives up two home runs to guys who hit home runs. You know, we most of the calls in the postgame show were about, you know, the win that was in the spectacle and everything like that. But you know, there's a conversation about the White Sox bullpen at this point. They added Craig Kimbrell to it. I tend to think that, you know, in a particular way, this bullpen is best equipped to handle any kind of hiccup because nobody seems to care what their role is. They just want to get outs and win games. Does it seem that way to you? Yes, it does. And there's no question. I haven't talked to Liam today or Ethan Katz or Kurt Hassler. I guarantee they've looked through the video, and they're going to try to figure out you know, why he's given up 10 home runs. The thing is, he hasn't walked anybody this year. And, and maybe at the end of the day, and I'll ask DJ about it, Next time Liam pitches, some of his pitches might be too competitive. And, you know, adding a few more walks and a little less in terms of the home run ball, I don't know. Maybe that's the answer. You never want closers to come in and walk people and then give up home runs, obviously. But I think he feels, and I love this about him, that he can strike everybody out. And so maybe the answer is instead of an inch out of the zone high, maybe two or three inches or two or three inches wide. His slider at times has looked flat. That's a bit of a culprit, and that might just be a little mechanical tweak. So many of the events from Thursday night's game has been, you know, there is no unsung hero necessarily because every moment has been kind of, you know, analyzed over and over. But if it were a regular season game, Sebi Zavala is your unsung hero. He hits the two-run homer and works the one-out walk in the ninth to end up making Tim Anderson the go-ahead run. He has been... He's been a really interesting baseball player to watch for me because nothing was expected from him offensively, and he just had to handle himself defensively, and he's provided a lot more on both sides. For me, he's on this team the rest of the year now if, if he has to go down for you know a week or two or whatever. For me, he when this team is at its best, from what we've seen so far in 2021 and all the iterations, even when Grandall is back, and however they figure it out with Zach Collins right now, Sebi Zavala is one of the 26 best players on this team, and I think he's going to continue to play a lot, even when Yaz returns. And he could become a very important piece in the postseason. I think it's one of the great stories. Uh, the, the, the catcher position, man, and I know your mean has only caught a couple of uh, innings, but essentially he's a catcher. What he did at the DH spot in April and what Sebi has done now uh, is, is really impressive. When you look at the way the White Sox have um, you know, kind of chosen to space out the rotation, Reynaldo Lopez moving into the five spot with Carlos on the injured list, do you see this as an, as an opportunity for Reynaldo or maybe more a chance for the White Sox to test other pitchers as much as him over the next you know, undefined stretch that Carlos is going to be on the IL? I haven't asked Tony this question specifically, and I don't think they know how long Carlos is going to be out. But I think as far as... Ronaldo, if he continues to pitch well, I think it's his spot at the at this moment. You know, he went into spring training with Carlos is kind of battling for the fifth spot. I think for Lopez, he's become a very important piece of this bullpen because he can give you length. You know, he's kind of your fourth, fifth, sixth inning guy, and let's say you get behind early in, in a big game, even in October, he's a guy you could bring in and know that you could give you three or four strong innings. I've been really impressed with how well he has pitched, 
And uh, I think it's a little bit of an audition for him to become a bigger part of this bullpen, even though now he's in a starting role. You and DJ have talked a lot about Aloy since he's come back. I, I don't know. You, you mentioned right off the top, our job is to describe things. It's very difficult to describe how Aloy has been as successful as he has, missing so much time. It's incredible. He's a better hitter than I thought. I didn't see him play a ton when he was with the Cubs. Maybe four or five spring training games over a couple seasons. That's it. Uh, He's the whole package. And I think power-wise, he's the biggest threat on this team. I love him batting right behind Jose Abreu. It just lengthens the lineup. Moncada now fifth. Robert lurking in the seven hole. When Grandal comes back, I mean, where do you put him? Um, This lineup when fully healthy, to me, can be one of the best in the American League. It's kind of where we're headed with the next segment. Next, we'll have you tease Len Asks in just a moment since, you know, you did it. But you've, you've been the guy with eyes on Luis Robert, right? I mean, he hasn't been here at Guaranteed Rate Field, so you've seen him. What, what percentage does he look like to you? I know that's a really difficult question to ask, having only had, you know, 25 games of his to call, but where does he seem to you? I think defensively he looks pretty close to being 100%. Um, I don't notice that he's favoring the hip or, or his legs at all. Uh, I, I, I'm guessing he just needs a little more timing at the plate. But, you know, he's had a couple of hits. And um, I think with a week's worth of playing time where he can get 25 to 30 plate appearances, you hope that kind of like Aloy, all of a sudden maybe a little line drive to the left yeah. fielder ends up in the seats. But, no, he looks good to me. Yeah. Uh, Len, last one before we let you go. Uh, what's Len asks for today? Well, it, it has something to do with the last game the White Sox played, and I kind of ask a, a, a fairly general question about the experience, and I think we'll get some really good answers. That's a tease that's coming up when we come back. Len Casper and Darren Jackson have the game tonight. Len, thanks so much, and uh, great job on Thursday. It was great. Thanks, Connor. You too. You got it. That is Len Casper. we got a lot more to do here on White Sox Weekly, including Len asks when we come back. But Sox fan, here is your chance to win big. Play the Sox Split 50-50 raffle presented by Wintrust for your chance to win the super guaranteed jackpot. Uh, the jackpot amount is, is getting up there, so you want to go ahead and play. You play with online purchase at whitesox.com slash split. The jackpot's building through the weekend, so check back tomorrow if you have the winning ticket. White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000 is coming back in just a few KJZ, mornings 5 to 7, ESPN 1000. Welcome back. It's White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Just got done talk with Len Casper about the Field of Dreams game, the White Sox win over the Yankees and all the drama and scene and spectacle there was. 9-8 the final. Tim Anderson with the two-run shot in the bottom of the ninth. I keep laughing every time I talk about it because it's like it's 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 like I'm faking it. It's like it's so wild. Who would have imagined that that game would end that way? But it did, and it was an absolute blast to watch and listen to here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. In fact, it was so much fun that uh, one of our uh, one of our teammates, Jeff Meller, who produces and hosts. Uh, for the uh, Carmen Yurko show and, and fills in all over the place. And you usually hear him do a lot of pre- and post-game work here. Uh, whenever I'm out, he is wonderful. Put together this little montage of the Field of Dreams game. We're going to play it for you in just a minute, but I should tell you first that you can join us at Guaranteed Rate Field for the Run Your Socks Off 5K. 
It's presented by Guaranteed Rate. It's on Saturday, September 18th. So you got about a month to get yourself set up and ready to roll. Racers will cross the finish on field, followed by a post-race party presented by Michelob Ultra. That's on the concourse. Tomorrow is the last day of early bird pricing. Learn more at whitesox.com slash run. So, again, the run's on September 18th. So you've got time to figure out how to get in shape for a 5K. But tomorrow's the last day of early bird pricing. So you want to get on that. It's whitesox.com slash run. Wouldn't you want to be on the field the 2021 White Sox have been on all season long? Yeah, I, I, think, you, uh, I think you would. Anyway, Field of Dreams game. 9-8 the final. Sox over the Yankees. Full, packed full of amazing moments. And we've got them all in audio form for you, courtesy of our guy, Jeff Meller. Let's take a look back at the Thursday night that was. Heaney on an 0-2. Drilled in the air, deep left. And it is in the corn! to pitch. That is smoked into right and into the corner. Aaron Judge puts the Yankees on top with a three-run shot here in the third. Malloy hits one deep to right field. That baby will go! That is a three-run homer into the corn. His first pitch to Zavala. Hit in the air to right and it's deep. Judge is back. This one's gone. Semi Zavala. Two run homer. It is seven to three. Wow. Here's one down the line off the bat of Gardner. It is gone. Brett Gardner has made this a three run ball game as the corn out and right gobbling up some baseballs here tonight. A rocket. Puffin and Puffin with a count two and one on Aaron Judge. High fly ball. This ball is way out of here. One run game. Second of the night, 25 for the year for big number 99. Here's Stanton. He's hit 17 home runs, hitless tonight. Short lead by Sebi. The pitch is hit in the air. Deep to right. That ball is gone. White Sox win. The field of dreams. Nine eight the final. Light it up. Can you believe it? It was meant to be. First game ever. In Iowa, that's the best game ever played in Iowa. That's the call, courtesy of Len Casper and Darren Jackson. It was, <laughs> I mean, what a night and what a way to end it. Uh, I know a lot of people, and I, I'll just take a moment and step aside and kind of peel back the curtain for everybody, too. I, I think I mentioned it toward the top of the show, but Eric Ostrowski and I were doing the post-game show after the game, and 
it was truly awesome to hear from so many White Sox fans who listened to the broadcast here on the network. Um, it felt more like it felt as much like a like a community, like a like a team of of people and fans watching this club and, and watching this game and kind of experiencing this event. I, I couldn't tell you how how happy I was and honored I was to just kind of be a part of the post-game show that night. It was an absolute blast. We love you for participating that way and look forward to doing a lot more shows like that as the Sox get deeper and deeper into the regular season and into the playoffs. It's, it's going to be a blast. This is a team that, you know, you hope can be, um, can make themselves destined for something great. And I know that's kind of, that's not how destiny works, but I think it is in baseball. You kind of make your own, I think, from season to season. 312-332-3776. You want to join White Sox Weekly the way everybody joined the postgame show on Thursday night? You're more than welcome to. There's a lot more to talk about than just the finish in Thursday night's game about these White Sox. There are a couple of uh, injury notes that I want to bring to you tonight, or this afternoon, I should say. I'll get you the lineup in just a little bit as well. Uh, I also want to do this real quick. Sox fans, you could join us on September 11th for Sox Crawl. It's presented by Modelo. You can purchase the ticket package for pregame crawl before the White Sox take on the Red Sox. You just get to enjoy food and drink specials. You can play games, win prizes, and more. Limited tickets are available, so get yours today at whitesox.com. Uh, whitesox.com slash crawl. I'll say it again, sorry. Whitesox.com slash crawl. Also, Len Casper, our guy on Saturdays, has a question for you. It's Len Asks. We teased it earlier. Here it is now. Hey, everybody. Today's Len Asks is very simple. What was the best part of the Field of Dreams event Thursday night? <laughs> the best part of the Field of Dreams event on Thursday night. Well, listen, there's no points for subtlety in Len Asks. So saying that the White Sox winning the ball game as your favorite part uh, that would go a long way and is absolutely cool by me. Uh, the White Sox winning, it was awesome. But if you've got a better moment from that ball game, you go ahead and let me know. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. When we come back, each of the White Sox line up a couple of news and notes from Tony La Russa's pregame press conference. So don't go anywhere. You've got White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Ask your smart speaker to play ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. With me, kind of a special surprise. I actually didn't know uh, that this guy was here in the ballpark until I checked my notes. Well, I should. <laughs> That's actually a lie. Taking you behind the scenes here. I didn't check my notes on time, Sean. I, I should have <laughs> checked my notes. And here I am watching BP at Guaranteed Rate Field. And I look down, you know, into the seats down here. And I'm like, huh, I, that looks like Sean Evans. That looks a lot like Sean Evans, the internationally known host of Hot Ones. And I thought to myself, but it can't be Sean Evans, because I think I just saw him on Instagram just the other day talking with uh, you know, various celebrities. But it was. It was Sean. How you doing, man? It's, uh, I'm doing great. And uh, this, is, this is lovely, by the way. You know, people don't know, but we have history. We do. We used to play uh, on the same softball team in Lincoln Park. We did? Uh, we were, we were uh, the person who brought us together, Adam Harris. Yes. 670 the score and, and we had this softball team that was a mix of kind of my buddies and people who were working at 670 the score 
And then Connor, you know, I probably I probably haven't seen you in seven or eight years. It's been a minute. And it's been crazy to see your rise and you have this place in this booth, ESPN Chicago. Uh, it's been amazing to see all that you've done. And this is kind of a, a homecoming of sorts. You know, I'm back in Chicago, brought my dad, brought my brother to the game. But it's great to see you. And this is just impromptu and this is magical. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It is pretty cool. I mean, just to see, you know, the, the, the White Sox as an entity have fans all over the place. And I feel like, you know... It, I don't know where you took, and we'll talk about it in a sec, but I want to know where you took in Thursday night's game, you know, at the Field of Dreams and everything. But I feel like that game, we've spent like the first hour of the show talking about it. It, it, it brought everything up yep. to like a fever pitch yes. with the White Sox right now. And whether like TA hitting a two-run walk-off, like you, don't, you can't write it like that. Uh, yeah, I was watching the game at my apartment in New York City uh, and fully enthralled. And then you see the top of the ninth and the way that that goes. And you're like, oh, no. And then you see T.A. And I'm like, all right, well, sinker ball pitcher. Like, T.A. likes those pitches. You know, maybe we have a shot here after uh, after uh, the Zavala walk. So then he just hit that out into the corn. And it was, you know, it was the Field of Dreams game. And I tweeted this right after. I said, Field of Dreams game greater than. Field of Dreams movie. I you know, I don't know where you stand on Field of Dreams as a movie. I read the book when I was yeah it's it's fine. I read the book when I was an English student in college, right, right. and it's one of those where you're like oh yeah that's something, but you're going okay I'm good. I read it the one time. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know that you could have brought all of the spectacle and baseball together better than Thursday night. A absolutely not. And I, you know, I think it was a good and a long overdue, and I think a deserving shifting of the sands uh, with this White Sox baseball team. Where I think now, I think you look at this team as. Uh, a real national story in a way that uh, this team hasn't experienced in a, in a really long time, but it's long overdue and much deserved, I think. Well, you're talking with Sean Evans, the host of Hot Ones here on White Sox Weekly. You're, I mean, you're known, right? I mean, you go places and people recognize you, and I don't have to blow smoke at you because you know how bad of a first baseman I am. But, like, <laughs> when, when you get asked, oh, Sean, you're a White Sox fan, in what way do you connect to that baseball fan who is trying to connect with you on your White Sox fandom? Well, I always think that, you know, I grew up in the Northwest suburbs surrounded by Cubs fans, yeah. you know, and, and that was my experience of being a White Sox fan was you were always a little bit of an underdog or, you know, you always kind of had a chip on your shoulder because of that. And then I guess to just see the watching this team the last couple of years, but this year especially, it's something that just keeps me grounded to home. I, I love Chicago. I miss Chicago every day living in New York City. Um, so this White Sox team watching all the games, it's what keeps me connected to home. That's that's what the team means to me. So the reason I was kind of thinking about this is I wonder if now, as you travel around and fans like connect with you about you know White Sox and baseball and stuff, I wonder if you'll get to go, Tim Anderson, the dude that hit the two-run shot at the Field of Dreams game. <laughs> That's my, you know what I mean? Like he is now this connection point for baseball fans and wider because of how big an audience that game was. And and long overdue, I think you know there's there's a lot of guys that are worthy of that um, being the face of baseball type of title. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And this isn't me being a homer, but. Tim Anderson, to me, is that guy. He is that guy. He's everything that's great about the game, the way he plays. He's so exciting to watch. And then you saw him just put an exclamation on that in that game. You saw him put an exclamation point on it in that game. So uh, hopefully that this is the time where, you know, the ESPNs were maybe would forget about forget about the White Sox on a national level before now kind of embrace this team and follow this story because it's compelling and it's awesome to watch. Well, the front of mind for us here at ESPN 1000, no doubt about that, but the national network, sure, we, we do 
send memos upstairs. That, yeah, right yeah, you got to gotta, yeah, shake, shake the tree, Connor. So shake let, the tree. Let me ask about hot ones. I know you just wrapped the season. Uh, Elijah Wood, the final yep. guest, if I checked you, Instagram Connor. lately. So tell me this. Does, does he look like he's 12 in real life as well, or is it just the camera that does that? Let me tell you. All right. There's there's two people who I've met in person, yeah. and I look into their eyes. They're just striking and different than any other eyes I've ever seen before. Uh, Priyanka Chopra, who I met on the set of The Tonight Show one time, she has just eyes that go right through you. Yeah. And then same with Elijah Wood, just these ocean, the eyes. It's the eyes. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if are. I soaked in anything else because I was just so, so, so just... Uh, hypnotized by his eyes. Do you, uh, your, your diet right now in the off season, do you yep. just like hit reset? Is it just all oats and milk and coconut? Or yeah, what? for real. Uh, for real. Like, when I'm not doing the show, if I'm off the clock, uh, I think that, you know, taking in all this hot sauce and doing it, and for as long as the, we've been doing it, seven years now, uh, when I'm not doing the show, I take everything else a little bit more seriously. So you're right. It's a lot of cereal. It's a lot of salads. It's a lot of juice. Do you have... <laughs> I've always wondered this. Like since you started, I, I watched the first one, and one of your first ones, one of the big ones, was a ball player. It was Anthony Rizzo? That's true. Yeah, who played on the other side of town, unfortunately, and now with the Yankees, though he yep. won't be in this series, uh, positive for COVID. Do you have somebody who watches out for your stomach on? Like, is there someone <laughs> on staff, you know, that takes care of you? No, I always think. Remember, there was that those stories about like J Lo um, insuring her butt and all of that stuff. Like, I always think about that. Like, I, I need think to, I remember those stories. I need, yeah, yeah, I need to. I need to put a, an insurance policy on my digestive tract. But no, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm really unto myself. But uh, just you know, going to the doctor, getting it checked out, and every time I go to the doctor, which is twice a year, they already know me. They know my vocation. They know my. They know my lot in life so i just tell them every scan you can do do every blood test that yeah. you can do do like we need to check the vitals right here and so far it's actually kind of been an improvement i, I don't know if the hot sauce is turning me into a superhero or whatever but you know you'd think oh you got to worry about this you got to watch it or whatever it's actually uh been nothing but helpful the vitals are just going up 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 your, your dad and your brother are with us here in the studio do you guys i, I know you guys don't have microphones <laughs> so this is bad radio. do you guys worry about him no no, no worries. Okay. All right, good. <laughs> so, so Sean, what we've learned here on the show is that your family doesn't worry nope, about you at all. A, yeah, that was that, that was a that, very quick no. He's, you've made your own choices in life, and you'll have to deal it's with the them cross as they that are. I bear, yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, best chicken wings in Chicago. Oof. I know. I know. Oof. Here it is. You've, you've walked up to the booth, and it's been softball after softball. And what do you think about the White Sox? But I, I would imagine. Well, there's, there's one place I, I wonder if you'll come up with. Let me just say it, and I wonder if it connects. Is yeah. it Toons? Yeah. That's it wasn't really? Yeah, that's the spot. That is the spot. Toons was terrific. There's the, there's the place, there's Toons, and there's a, the wing place actually by Adam's spot on in Lincoln Park yeah. on Clark. But I don't think it's around anymore. I, th I think it got because uh, it was near the DePaul campus. I'm yeah, trying to you're right. blanking on the name. I want to say like Lucky's or something, but I know that's wrong. Yeah. But they used to do a uh, 25 cent right. wing night situation. Right. So right. I, I do remember that place and remember it fondly. But you know, now going through 15 seasons, seven years of eating wings, you're probably good. Last thing I want to eat when I'm off the clock. What's the first thing you're eating here at uh, Guaranteed Rate Field? I'm excited. I'm hungry. Uh, you know, once you start smelling the uh, the onions, which I'm starting to get a whiff of now, it's yeah. about that time. You know, where you start to you start to catch the onions off the grill right now. So, um, you know, being away from home, the things that I miss are the uh, the Italian sausage, the Italian beef. These are the things that I miss uh, being in New York. So that'll probably be on the menu tonight. Let me 
me pitch you on something. All right, no, as, I'm as open. we say goodbye to the break. I, and I would tell you this: uh, Sheena Quinn is in here as well. I've, I've been talking shout to, out to Sheena. Well, I've been talking to the PR staff about this quite often. <laughs> I don't know, understand why I don't have them shipped up to the booth. Uh, and this is for your dad and your brother as well, and anybody who's headed to the ballpark tonight to watch the White Sox for the Yankees. If you head down the corners on the concourse okay. area. At one of the burger kiosks, you really can't miss it. It's at the kiosk, not at the main, you know, thing. It's called the Comiskey Burger, right? Okay. And what we're talking about here is a double-decker burger with Merck's cheese spread Oof. melted onto not one, Sean, both patties. Oof. And then they take the, you know, the fixings for a Chicago dog, the pickle, the relish, yeah. the onion, the mustard, all that kind of stuff. That's all chopped up into a relish Whoa. and gets topped onto the burger. You go, you get yourself the Comiskey Burger, two scoops of the relish, because you're going to want it, and I, it's the way to go. Say less, Connor, I'm totally sold. I think uh, a round of Comiskey Burgers and um, a couple beers, and uh, we'll get this thing started. Sounds like a plan, man. Good luck in the first pitch. Throw a strike. Uh, I'm nervous about it. You know, I, I airmailed Bull Durham style my first pitch that I did. I did one at Wrigley a couple summers ago. Right. I need to avenge it tonight. So well, that, uh, know, I'm nervous about it already. Southpaw catching you or do you have, is like Lucas doing it or something? Uh, you know what? I just met Lucas, uh, by the way, which is awesome. Solid uh, guy. So, yeah, awesome, awesome. Love Lucas Giolito, my ace. Uh, so I guess we'll see. I, I don't know who's who's catching me today, but uh, I'm just going to bring the heat, Lance Lynn style. If I throw a strike, I'll... I'll I'll beat my chest, Kopech style, and uh, hopefully we get a White Sox win tonight. All right, fellas, go say hey to Lynn Casper and Darren Jackson for me over in the booth. Thanks so much for stopping by. It was awesome, awesome to see you. you. It Great is awesome to you. see you. Sean Evans of Hot Ones, back with plenty more on White Sox Weekly. It's the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Bring you as many surprises as possible, along with the best White Sox coverage in town. I think we have uh, kept our promises so far today. Our guests, Len Casper, and Sean Evans of Hot Ones, who is over in the booth with Len and DJ visiting now. Sean is a diehard White Sox fan and a pretty good 12-inch shortstop as well here on uh, White Sox Weekly. Pretty, uh, it's a celebration is what it is. We've been having a lot of fun talking about this first-place ball club and about the game that we had on Thursday night. I, I know that a, a couple of you were out there, <laughs> the 8,000. It sounded like 6,000 were White Sox fans, which was a blast. One of those 6,000 was on the south is on the south side and uh, is on the show now. It's Tyler. Tyler, what's up? You're on White Sox Weekly. Hey, Connor. How's it going, buddy? It's going well. Thanks. Man, so much to say about Thursday. Um, first and foremost, obviously, the Timmy walk-off was absolutely incredible. Um, but to Len's question, right? Yeah. The coolest thing about the game, hands down, was just Everyone was there for the love of it, right? The love of the game, the ambiance, the aura. Uh, there were grown men crying everywhere as the players emerged from the cornfield. No kidding. It, it was just, it was like something I've never seen before. Like everyone was there for baseball, uh, a ton of Sox fans. It definitely sounded like all 8,000 people were there were, were there for the black and white. Um, it was just an incredible experience to be able to share that with my dad is something that I'm literally going to remember for the rest of my life. Tyler, that's really cool, man. I appreciate you calling, and, and I appreciate the perspective, too. I, I know that, you know, obviously as, as baseball fans, we all know that there is a connection in this game between parent and child, right? And I think that's true of, of many sports, right? If you're, if you're going to practice, it's mom or dad that's driving you, in, in most cases, you know, in, in a lot of instances. It's not always, of course. And, and even if, you know, for those kids who came up without mom or dad able to drive them to practice, I, I would imagine that there is a, 
you know, kind of a, a parental bond that forms between the, the person that does or the person that teaches you this love of the game. And I think it was cool, and, and Tyler put it really well there, you know, being able to celebrate this with his dad and, and not just the White Sox or if you're a Yankees fan and at the game, the Yankees, but this, this love of the game, the game itself and its connection to all of us. And I, you know, not being there, like, you know, there's only 8,000 or so, 10,000 with the, you know, the staff and everybody else included, they were able to be at the game. But so many of us felt that connection in whichever way we do, right? In, in whatever way gets us most closely grounded to the game we played growing up as kids, that's maybe the most important part. I think, you know, Joe Poznanski wrote it um, I, in his piece for The Athletic just a, a day or so ago. I, I think he posted a Friday after the game that the, the baseball we played when we were 10, regardless of who we were or who we are or, or when we were 10, the baseball we played when we were 10 is kind of our favorite version of it. And I think you can take that to, to mean a couple of different things, right? The, the Major League Baseball that was getting played when you were 10 is your favorite, right? So, like, for me, it's, it's Kenny Lofton being a god or, or Ken Griffey Jr. being everything that is right with the game, all that kind of stuff. But it also means, like, the way the game was, got played by you. You know, the, the, the smell of the grass, the orange slices that you brought for treats, the ecto-coolers that you punched into after ball games, whether you won or lost, the sound of your cleats on the gravel as you walked out to the treat cart because you weren't playing in the second game because the coach's kid was playing short. You know, all these things you can't help but remember. All of these things you'll never forget. And I think, you know, for some of us, for, for parents of, of kids now bringing our own out to the ballpark, you, you get to experience that over again. You hear your kids' cleats clacking down the sidewalk getting ready to go play somebody's forgotten a glove or, or a uniform or something like that and you're headed back from the ballpark getting back there and, and trying not to lose it like all these things are so much part of how we raise um, our kids that it becomes what we watch becomes so much more I think baseball as a as an entity as a product and as a, as a major league uh, kind of organization got to tap into so much of that and got to do it with two great ball clubs this year specifically to watch. And then to layer on top of all of that, you got one hell of a baseball game to finish the whole thing off. Tyler, I appreciate you calling, man, and I, and I appreciate the perspective. I hadn't, you know, I'd thought about that, and I'd thought about that connection between, you know, father and son or mom and daughter, mom and son, you know, whatever it is, that parental to, to child kind of connection of, of how we teach the game and how we, how we absorb it and, and how we kind of make it a part of our lives. But you kind of forget it that on an individual basis, it becomes so varied, it becomes so important as well. Uh, that's a really cool thing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that perspective. Thanks, man. You can join the White Sox in honoring Chicago area police and fire departments on Wednesday, August 18th for Police and Fire Night. The first 10,000 fans receive a police and fire-themed T-shirt presented by UL. For more than a century, UL has been committed to fire safety. Learn more at ul.com slash fire to purchase tickets. Visit whitesox.com slash promos. You've got White Sox Weekly. When we come back, we're going to run down the White Sox lineup for tonight and a couple of uh, minor notes on players, some injury notes and some uh, out-of-action notes 
that I want to bring to you here. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Follow us on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Sox and Yankees coming up in just a little bit. In fact, our pregame show is going to get going in half an hour. Got a couple of special things going on at the ballpark I'll tell you about in a moment. Get you the lineup for today and a couple of roster notes as well. But we'll pause it real quick. Ten seconds for station ID. From the first Midwest Bank State Street studio, the new home of the Chicago White Sox, this is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago. Sox fans, a new episode of Sox Degrees, that's the podcast hosted by Len Casper and Jason Benetti, dropped today. This week's episode features Cespedes Family Barbecue. That's the Twitter duo of Jake Mintz and Jordan Schusterman. No topic is off limits. limits. Subscribe and follow on Apple and on Spotify. Uh, Mintz and Schusterman do an amazing, a bang-up job on the Cespedes Family Barbecue Twitter handle and all the related content. Uh, Mintz actually just rode his bike from New York all the way to 35th and Shields he had predicted something in the preseason or in uh, spring training, leading up to spring training, about the White Sox that ended up not coming true. He had to eat his words and bike halfway across America uh, to atone. So that was, was actually kind of a funny journey, and I'm sure that the four talked about that. The podcast just dropped today. Uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I've listened to all of them. Um, and as it happens, one of the guests that was uh, already on the Len Casper and Jason Benetti podcast was on White Sox Weekly today. We just talked with Sean Evans of Hot Ones fame. It's the uh, show with hot questions and even hotter wings or hot wings and even hotter questions, one of the two. Sean and I are friends. We go back a little ways, and uh, he's at the ballpark tonight to throw out the first pitch. So uh, I thought he'd come up and just say hello and hang out, and there he was strapping on the microphone and, uh, and talking with us. So it was a lot of fun to reconnect with Sean and talk White Sox with him. In case you missed that, or anything else from any other previous White Sox weekly show, you can check out the podcast. Just download the ESPN Chicago app. All of our episodes and interviews are uploaded for your download pleasure. You can listen whenever and wherever you'd like. Out to the phone lines we go, 312-332-3776. Want to hear from you about the, the Field of Dreams game. Uh, any White Sox banter or talk that you want to hop in with is absolutely cool with us. I'll get you the lineup for the Sox in just a little bit and a couple of notes from Tony LaRusso's pregame press conference, but to the phone lines we go, and on the road, it's Don. Don, you're on White Sox Weekly. What's up, my man? Yeah, I'm on the ice now. I'm, visit, I'm going to meet my law school friend from Paris, France, to go to, to go to the game. Oh, that's awesome, Don. That's fantastic. Okay, so I live six miles from the Field of Dreams. Okay. Okay, and I was at the game, my daughter was in the movie. I remember talking to Kevin Costner back when they made it. Wait, your daughter was in you? the movie? What? Your your daughter? We were was... there when they were making the movie. My daughter was had it was in a scene in the movie. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Wait, that's I cool. get it. But here's the big thing. So I was at the game in the bleachers, talking to the people right behind us. There was a guy. I'm 72, and uh, this guy. I asked him where he, when his first White Sox game was. And we figured out my first White Sox game was his first White Sox game in 1957. That's great. And we both remember, I remember, so uh, 
I actually went on eBay. I found the program for it. But uh, we both remembered a play where there was a little dink in the left field, and I'm a I'm an eight-year-old kid. I thought, well, there's a hit. And Minnie Minoso and Louie Aparicio were both waiting for it to come down. Ah. And and they and Ted Williams did not get a hit. It was a Red Sox. So well, that, that's awesome, Don. That what's the chance of this guy sitting behind me at the game? And that was our first game. That is uh, that is pretty wild, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah. That's a memory that I hope the both of you have for the rest of time. That's a really cool connection, I think, for fans. I I, I would imagine. I appreciate the phone call, Don. I would imagine that everybody, and I hope you have a great time at the ballpark tonight. Uh, I hope you meet somebody that was also at that game tonight sitting behind you. I, I hope that a lot of people, I hope that everybody who was at the game on Thursday night got a chance to share stories like that. I, I know that, you know, by design that ballpark was tiny, uh, but I think that was kind of the point. And I would imagine they do more games like that. We talked to Len Casper earlier on. I'd love to see games, you know, like that. I'd love to see the Hall of Fame game come back. That's the game in Cooperstown. They play that at the ballpark there. They used to do that you know, in the mid-'90s. to I, I want to say they did it up to 04, um, so I will. I think they did it from like the mid-'90s to like 2004 or something like that. Darren Jackson, our, our own, played in that Hall of Fame game. And I, I, at the time, uh, DJ was saying it's, it's just kind of an exhibition game. It wasn't a regular season game, so it's a little bit of a different feel. To have a regular season game there would be really cool. I'd love to see ballparks in really unorthodox sites, you know, kind of like this this makeshift ballpark. If we're going to do it for the Field of Dreams, let's do it in other places as well. I, I, it'd be cool to see, like, you know, go out west, play a game in Utah with, uh, with, with Red Rocks in the background, or, you know, go out to a national park or something like that and, and you know, not on the national park itself, uh, but, but set up with a cool background like that and, and see if, you know, the sights and sounds of a Major League Baseball game can't draw in another 5.9 million viewers and listeners like it did on Thursday night at the Field of Dreams. <laughs> Grand Canyon would be awesome for that matter, you know? I mean, you put up a fence and everything, but if a ball leaves and goes into the Grand Canyon, that'd be pretty wild. I don't know how logistically possible it would be, but it would be it would be a poke, wouldn't it? It'd be a ton of fun. I, I think, too, you know, we'll see, I, I would hope, Situations like this, and I, I don't know if you caught it, but prior to Thursday's game on Wednesday, the White Sox Ace program played the uh, the Dream program, and I apologize, but I'm not as familiar with the Dream program as I am with the Ace program being here. But it's the inner city baseball program, and the Dream program is affiliated with the Yankees. So the two uh, youth teams, their 14 and under teams, played against each other, and uh, Brady Stinson hit a grand slam into the corn to, you know, go ahead for the Dream uh, the Ace program here in town. I would hope that there are ballparks in inner cities, whether here in town or in New York or, or in L.A. or whatever, where you could set up baseball itself. The Major League Baseball as an entity could inject some cash into that ballpark, create an infrastructure that would allow for a Major League Baseball game to take place there. And, yeah, maybe you'd have to cut down the attendance some. Maybe you couldn't have all 8,000 that you did at the Field of Dreams. But let's bring the attention to those places where we're also trying to grow the game. I, I won't get it twisted. There's been some criticism of the Field of Dreams game, and it's been this. And I think it's fair. You know, it's fair to talk about both sides of this as much as anything else. Field of Dreams is a movie in, from 1989. It's based on a book from 10 years before that, and it appeals to fans who are, for the most part, 45. 
And that's okay. That's a big part of the fan base of Major League Baseball, and that's all well and good. But so much of the focus in Major League Baseball, and not just by the, the entity itself, but by guys like Tim Anderson, has been about growing this game to, to youth fans, to teenagers, to kids who, who he wants, Tim has spoken about wanting to get back into baseball or get into baseball for the first time. Let's find a setting and a situation that helps bring those fans into the game next. Let's also do that. I, I think, if anything, you know, we've proven as a sport, whether by individual team or by the league itself, that we are able to walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. We can pay attention to both of these things at once, and we should. And I think that's, I think that's on its way, and I think that'll be a really, really cool thing. Let's get you the lineup for the White Sox and Yankees tonight. I think it's an interesting one, and it brings me to a couple of roster notes that I want to talk about real quickly here before we hit the pregame show, uh, and we'll delineate or we'll, we'll dig into those a little bit more. Tim Anderson's going to lead off. He's short. Cesar Hernandez is at second base for the White Sox, batting two tonight. Jose Abreu's at first, batting three. Aloy Jimenez is in left, batting four. More on Aloy in just a second. Yoan Moncada's playing third base. Brian Goodwin is in right field. And then 7, 8, and 9 are Luis Robert. Jake Lamb is the DH tonight, and Zach Collins is the catcher. So right away, I know a lot of White Sox fans on Twitter so far today have been like, oh, where's Andrew Vaughn? Why is Andrew not on the lineup? He's been smoking it lately, and he absolutely... Vaughn's got the day off as Tony was looking to get more left-handers into the lineup against Jamison Tyone, who is the starter for the Yankees tonight. He's 7-4 and four with a 3.82 ERA. And I get that. You want to find spots for your left-handers. I also think, you know, this is something we talked about the other day when the uh, uh, the White Sox lost their final game of the season to the Minnesota Twins. It was a one nothing shutout, and Tony La Russa had a couple of uh, bench guys in the lineup. And there was some conversation in the post-game show about, how oh, why isn't this guy playing? Why isn't that guy playing? Why are, the, uh, why are the backups in? This has been a feature of the White Sox all season long. A reason they've won especially in May and, and into June, is that you had guys like Goodwin and Lamb stepping up and contributing. Danny Mendick, for that matter. You know, you had guys stepping up and contributing from their bench spots. So to think that that would just go away, that Tony La Russa wouldn't also want those things to continue, is kind of crazy to me. You, you need depth in this game. We've learned that. And just because... You know, the trade deadline is over, and Aloy is back and performing so ludicrously well, and Luis Robert is back and on track, and Yasmani Grandal is at a rehab assignment. That doesn't mean that injuries stop. That doesn't mean that, that you can't have a guy hit a wall in the outfield and miss a couple of days. That doesn't mean that, you know, cross your fingers and knock on wood that nothing else can't happen. It, it absolutely can. And for those reasons... You know, the White Sox and, and, and Tony La Russa specifically, you know, because he's the guy that makes up the lineup, aren't looking at the rest of this season as salt away an 11-game lead. That's what I, I think people on the outside are looking at it as. This is a stay sharp and get sharp assignment for the White Sox right now. And that goes all the way from the top with Tim Anderson to the bottom and Jake Lamb and Zach Collins in this situation. They're going to, Lamb's a left handed bat off the bench. You tell me what team going through the playoffs hasn't relied on a nice, you know, whether it's a, whether, whether it's a hit, a homer, 
or a nice little walk or a productive ground out from a lefty off the bench in the playoffs, that stuff matters. you got to have those guys up and ready to roll. And part of that is getting some playing time at this point in the season. Tony's pointed that out from the get-go. He made believers out of a lot of people, including myself, in a strategy like that because the results are there and they're on the field. Now, Tony gets a lot of credit for where some of the strategic things for the White Sox have come around, but he also gets credit for some growth that's happened this year. The White Sox weren't in the greatest of situations, decision-wise, early on in the season. There were mistakes made. They were talked about. They were admitted, and they were moved on from. And you get to move on from those by not making them again, by admitting it, by looking at where things were, and going forward, being accountable. That's what that is. And I think that so much of this clubhouse vibe gets created by the personalities within and the accountability that those personalities hold each other to. That doesn't happen on every baseball team, nor does it have to happen on every winning team. But both things are happening for this White Sox squad right now, and that is pretty remarkable. It it truly is. It's something that... It's something that front offices are dying to create and then hope they stay healthy enough and talented enough to win a division and get into the playoffs and spin the wheel a couple of times. A couple other notes from the lineup tonight, uh, and we're getting close to the pregame show here at 5.30. Adam Engel is in treatment. He's got a groin issue that has popped up. It's not the hamstring. It does seem to be the groin. He was removed from the Field of Dreams game uh, late in that one. Kind of looked, I know a lot of people noticed that he didn't look exactly full speed or full gait when he was heading from first to third uh, early on. Larry Garcia is available tonight, though not in the lineup. He had kind of that weird collision with the wall out in the left. It was one of the home runs uh, in the night, the first one, I think, by Judge, uh, Stanton rather, that he, he kind of backed up toward the wall and then went up to leap with his shoulders kind of parallel to the wall and left. And it was, you know, it's a brand new park. Dimensions are different. The warning track, you know, you, you have to measure those things out. And both teams had such a full day leading up to the game that I bet, you know, they probably would have appreciated a little bit more time out there to get the lay of the land. But it is what it is. It's a spectacle and all that kind of stuff. So Leary went up to go and, and try and bring that ball back over the fence, but ended up leaping up, you know, kind of shoulders first into the wall. And that arrested any kind of, you know, upward thrust that he had had. So that went by the wayside. But Leary looked a little shaken up there. Sounds like he's available for tonight. Or Tony LaRusa has said he is available for tonight, though not in the lineup. So that's where the White Sox are at as they get the Yankees this evening. Go through some of the Yankees issues uh, when we come back. It's been quite a thing for them, uh, both injury-wise and COVID-wise. You hope for the quick and swift recovery uh, of each one of the guys that, that has had COVID. Uh, but it, the Yankees, as much as any other team, are a reminder that even despite vaccinations, we are still at a point where we have to consider that as a factor in this game and, and in our everyday lives. So, you know, something to kind of be cognizant of and, and realistic about as the White Sox play the Yankees tonight. Still time for your phone calls on White Sox Weekly. we got one more segment before we head to the pregame show for the uh, White Sox and Yankees tonight at Guaranteed Rate Field, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You can head to the park after work for bleachers and brews. 
You get yourself one ticket and two beers starting at just 25 bucks. You must be 21 and over with a valid ID. Bleachers and Brews is presented by Budweiser. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash brew. It's a pretty fun deal, so I'm told. Back with more White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly Saturdays on ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got the White Sox and Yankees coming up here in just a little bit. Pre-game show starts at 5.30, so we are closer and closer to White Sox baseball from here at Guaranteed Rate Field. I, I just wanted, you know, was, I did a little bit of math before the show started, and with, uh, you know, Len Casper and the Field of Dreams talk that we wanted to get through, and Sean Evans of Hot Ones showing up to the ballpark and then wandering up to the booth to hang out for a little bit. I haven't had a chance to get to it yet. I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what Aloy Jimenez has been up to since returning to the roster. He's played in 13 games, and he's in left and batting four tonight for the White Sox. He has six home runs in 49 at-bats, okay? So if you go ahead, and I've already done the math for you, and I did it off-air, so nobody has to listen to me do it now. But if you go ahead and take that pace, right, the home runs per at-bat, that pace, and then said, okay, well, what would that pace be over a 500-at-bat season? Yeah, it's mostly a, that's a full season. That's like 140, 145 games, something like that, depending on where you're batting in the order, right? But Aloy's going to be up there. Let's call it 500-bats. Aloy Jimenez is on pace to hit 60 home, 61 home runs in a 500 at bat season. That's the power stroke working for Aloy Jimenez right now. And I think, you know, when we were doing White Sox weeklies earlier in the season, when we were kind of looking back at the week that was for this first place, first place club, as they started to stretch things out against the Cleveland Indians and now Detroit Tigers, who were 12 games back. I'm thinking specifically like the two weeks leading up to what was a tough week in Houston, middle of June. The White Sox offense was on base a lot. The average was great. And the power numbers just weren't there. Yes, Monty Grandal had yet to really start hitting for pop. And Jose Abreu had a couple of home runs, you know, in the middle of that month. True. But they'd yet to find that consistent power source. And I don't think Eloy Jimenez is going to be the only guy to stroke home runs here as the season goes. I think his presence in the lineup does impact the way pitchers work around the one through nine. A little bit. Not a ton, but a little bit. But when you look at the power that he provides just by himself, it's remarkable to see what big a change that makes for the White Sox offensively. And that's to say nothing of Luis Roberts' return. And remember, you know, Luis's first 25 games was high average, great doubles contact, but only one home run in 25 games. Nine doubles, though. So you had that gap-to-gap control, that kind of power for Luis Robert, that kind of steady on base with all the threat he provides with his legs if he's healthy, all that kind of stuff. It's what I wanted to know, maybe more than anything else, other than the Field of Dreams stuff we talked about with Len Casper, is how Luis Robert has looked really, you know, in person. What kind of game speed has he had? Uh, And it's great to hear that, you know, according to Len and and according to a lot of people that have watched, that Robert's look has been right. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Kind of a crazy show. So much to get to this week. What with the Field of Dreams game and, and Sean Evans stopping by to hang out. But this White Sox team 
man, it's as close to the center of the baseball world as you can get right now, and that is a blast. It'll be the center of the broadcast when we come back. White Sox and Yankees are on the way. The pregame show starts in five minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. If you're a manufacturer dealing with metal, then you have scrap that needs to be recycled. And if you're not getting paid on time or getting the best price, try the Greenway. Greenway.